Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Hi, I'm Andrew Wallace, and welcome to the We've Got a Problem podcast, where each week we explore inspiring stories of struggle, success, and solutions to prevalent problems and how our guests have turned a problem into an opportunity. Today I'm talking to Anna Brooks. She's an interdisciplinary healing arts practitioner, but also a burlesque performer, show producer, educator, and advocate of all things striptease, as well as the author of Strip Down, How Burlesque Led Me Home. Her work has been featured in Page Six, BuzzFeed, and Huffington Post, and I'm really excited to get a chance to chat because this is a topic that I have not explored on this show at all. So Anna, (laughs) welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I mean, hey, why not? I so, I mean, you've you've got a master's degree. How did you go? What what? How did you go from there to here? Give us some background. Oh, so it all started. Uh, gosh, it's it's. I think it all started when I formed the thought as a young child that I could not be an artist period. I just couldn't. There's no way. I had no artistic talent of any note. I was fascinated by art and dance and everything. And I always loved dancing. But for me, it was just clear, well, I have to go into academics. I have to go, you know, get multiple degrees. Like there's, there was no external qualifier that I was raised with that really lifted up the the virtue of being a full-time artist and right. i had no uh examples in my immediate surrounds and so sure. i went to graduate school i studied art i loved it art history was the only subject in school that ever made sense to me and the only uh, class i ever got a good grade in and so i went to graduate school for it as well and while i was there everything started to change. I was in my late 20s. I decided to go to graduate school in London because I did not want to take the GRE. And it was cheaper to go to school uh, in London than it was in America. And I was also getting over terrible breakups. So I was like, I want to leave the country. I want to get out of here. Makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) Totally. That that, that wonderful cockamamie logic that worked (laughs) like a charm. Uh, And I went full tilt into trying to become a curator. That's what I was studying, working in the arts, arts administration side. And I found myself, London is very supportive of the arts. And I found myself at parties and all these beautiful events with all these artists. And I kept wondering, like, I I would love to be on the other side of this virtual fence, as it were. Like, I don't want to just be on the admin side. I want to be playing with all of them and making things. But I didn't know how to do that. And Basically, it was I applied for my work visa to stay in London. I was rejected three times because the nonprofit arts organization I was working for, surprise, surprise, was not paying me enough (laughs) for the uh, home office to grant me a work visa. They basically called it my immigration lawyer was like, yeah, it's kind of like you're this company wants you to it's basically akin to slavery like the slave wages and i was like but it's also nonprofit arts like what's the difference you know like oh my god because working in the arts is not clearly profitable but i had to come home while all of this you know admin and everything was happening and i wasn't allowed to be seen working for the organization so i had to work remotely i mean this was almost 20 years ago in america and i realized i had completely lost my way i felt so ungrounded. I didn't know who I was anymore. Again, working for such a small organization, I was working six, seven days a week. I had no healthy boundaries between work and and life outside of work. It just sort of all became this one thing. And 
It was impacting my health. It was impacting my, my mental health, certainly. And so I went home and I just had this gut feeling of like something needs to change. And I didn't know what that was. And so I, my mom lives in Western Massachusetts. I went to a uh, meditation yoga center for just to just like get away. And I picked a weekend workshop that I could afford that sounded kind of interesting. And it was called Trust Your Vibes. It was all about like trusting your sixth sense. And it was something that I was always fascinated by that. But I was like, how, but I'm not a psychic. Like I can, I can't read tarot cards. Like what is this? And literally all the workshop was, was we had to listen, just slow down enough to listen to what organically came up within ourselves. And on the last day of the workshop, the woman who was leading it had us go into a meditation and she was just asking questions. And the invitation was ask your intuition and your sixth sense to answer for you. And she asked a question, ask yourself what would bring you the greatest joy for your career? I just sat there, nothing had been coming to me all week. And I was like, fine, whatever, Like I'm just going to listen. And I heard a voice. This has never happened before. It has not happened since. But I heard a voice in my ear say, burlesque dancer. <laughs> I opened my eyes and I looked to the side. There was nobody there. And I was like, number one, what the hell is a burlesque dancer? Two, I hear nothing about what I'm currently going to school for or working in. Like, wh- right. what is this bizarre? This is you not know, helpful. No, no, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what this is. I went home, I got online and I Googled burlesque dancer and the swiftness with which my jaw hit that keyboard. I'm amazed <laughs> I didn't break something. So I was like, I'm sorry. Like here I have been cultivating everything from the neck up my whole life. And yet suddenly I need to be including what's from the neck down. Like, right. huh? What? And that was, that was the beginning of, that was the beginning of the end and the beginning of the beginning sort of that one beautiful hinge. Well, I, I, I suppose uh, unconventional at, at, at a minimum uh, <laughs> discussion of, of things. So I, I mean, you know, no judgment. What? Okay. So you, you <laughs> read about it, you go, and, and instead of going, this is crazy, I'm not interested. You go, all right, fine. <laughs> and, <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely something inside of me that was like, what on earth is this? Like, hmm, if, if I'm getting a disembodied voice telling me to do something, I'm going to check it out. Like, Right. Okay. All right. Yes. Good. <laughs> Fine. But most people wouldn't. I, yeah. I, I feel. I feel that most people wouldn't go into that. So you do. You 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 get into it. And you become what? Is it Reverend Legs Malone? What? Yes. You're, I'm, you're... The minister, I'm the minister with a 34 and a half inch inseam. <laughs> okay. That is my tag. I started off as the girl with the 34 and a half inch inseam. And then I actually did, um, through the Universal Life Church, I did get ordained. Uh, and it sort of opened up a whole new level of just possibility for me. And I was like, you know what? I can't call myself a reverend in real life, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and attach it to my stage name, <laughs> which is exactly what I did. Well, you and I are, 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 are the same, a fellow reverend of the Universal Life Church here. Hey. I, I have, I, I married my mother. That's, uh, wait, that didn't come out right. <laughs> I performed my mother's ceremony. If you're not particularly religious, and I, I, I don't mean to, to demean or or uh, in any way decrease the the amount of significance if you put a lot of religious significance on the ceremony but for for people who don't that that you you want to have somebody officiate who is cool hey you should do it i get get anna brooke to perform your your <laughs> <laughs> absolutely alone. why not I, in the middle of the show 
let's let's write okay and it's actually official (laughs) yeah agreed agreed across the board and uh it's funny too i mean just as a little side note about becoming a minister when the pandemic hit and everything changed and all of my shows got canceled and everything went online i ended up getting booked for so many weddings so 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 many weddings and some were like elopements like catholic elopements where they're like we can't like be in the big cathedral right now, but we just want to get married right now. Sure. So I was like, sure, of course. Like, I'll take care of so, it. So anyway, just a side note. I'll do it. Done. Sign me up. So, okay, you get into burlesque. You're, you're Reverend Legs Malone. Now, this has, you, you, you wrote a whole book about it, which mm-hmm. uh, everybody should check out. If in your book, you, you talk about it, it kind of changed your life a little bit. It was a process of self-discovery. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. What did you learn about yourself? How did it how did it change your life? You know, there's a phrase that I learned while I was starting performing. And it wasn't said exactly like this, but this is how I remember it. It says the audience only sh- the audience will only see what you show them. And growing up, you know, certainly in my 20s and my 30s, you know, working in jobs where I had to look a certain way, I was constantly anxious around like Oh my God, are they going to see through this? Are they going to tell I didn't do this work right? All of that went away when I moved into burlesque because I realized, number one, God bless the fourth wall. I mean, it's just so easy to like literally show up onto stage, do the thing and then exit off. And there was no, there was, (laughs) I mean, you could tell if you did a good job, if like the audience was clapping, but also one of the gifts was, it's like, if it didn't work out, like it was a finite moment that disappeared. I mean, not so easily once everybody was using like filming everything on their phones <laughs> but there was something about coming burlesque was it was the first time i was in charge of every single aspect of my work i was in charge of my bookings of my promotions of my costuming of my acts choreography everything 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 there was suddenly was not a boss leaning mm-hmm. over me breathing down my neck and i had never had that experience before And also coming out of art school, I definitely, you know, sort of like raced out of the gates with a whole bunch of super weird ideas, which for New York City was very welcome. And I fit in very, very well because I am much more comfortable being weird than I am, quote unquote, sexy. And that's one of the things I love about burlesque is that it can be whatever you want it to be. And it's all bodies, all ages, all shapes, weights, colors, textures, you name it. There is there is space for those people on stage and for everybody. And there was something about that that was it just felt so freeing to me because I had never been in an environment where that was okay. Everything, you know, working for everything like at an auction house or an art gallery or, you know, a receptionist at, uh, you know, some super fancy Wall Street firm. Like I, you know, it was like tied up, clean, neat, no messing Mm -hmm. around, no nothing. And there was something about, oh, like I can work and earn money and also have fun at the same time. What a novel concept. What a novel concept. And it dovetailed so beautifully with all of what I had been studying in graduate school, which is post-war contemporary art. And I suddenly realized I was sharing the stage with Julie Atlas Muse, who was a two th- in the 2006 Whitney Biennial. I was like, I've seen your work. Like <laughs> I graduated school at when that was happening. And here I was sharing a, you know, three by four dressing room with her and five other women, you know, being like, okay, we're trying to get dressed now to like, welcome to performance in New York city. <laughs> But there was something about coming into burlesque that turned everything I had learned about work on its ear. 
And I was shown burlesque is made up of a, a lot of misfits, you know, certainly historically speaking. And having been raised, you know, going to good schools and doing all this, I was really good at following all the rules best I yep. could. And this was a space of no rules, of no container, of just you got something, play with it, put it on stage. And it was yeah. like, I mean, that's I, so a couple of things that, that you've said, I, that must have been incredibly liberating and also incredibly scary, at least for, for, for those of us who are uh, familiar with following rules and who like to follow rules and respect rules and depend on rules. Uh, not saying that this applies to me at all, uh, but the, the, but for, for those of us who do, there's there's some comfort in 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 knowing how things are going to work out. That's that's great, but it's so constraining to to have all of those things on you and to be in control of all your bookings, all your promotion, all your marketing, all that. It's like so liberating, but also the 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 weight falls entirely on your shoulders. Yeah. So yeah. you've got all this freedom, but how do you know that it? How do, how do you know that it's going to work? And the answer yeah. is you don't, right? <laughs> you 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 don't know it's going to work, right? But you've got to try it, and mm-hmm. that's the because you got to be you got to be on stage. You got to go out there. You're you're booked. Yeah. Let's do it. And again, I there's so much freedom. I think in okay, it didn't work. Fourth wall, fine. Bye, guys. Try it again tomorrow, exactly. because. Yeah, especially in, in, in today's world. And like you say, it, it's different when people are recording on their phones. But in today's world, if you do, I say, just as an example, a bad podcast episode, as I have never done, <laughs> children, they, the, the fact is it, it's there. It's, it's out, there, out, out there forever. And you start to get into this, this headspace, whatever it is that you're doing, of I, I don't want to take that risk because it might turn out poorly and and I'll never recover and you go in a way though you got to ship it mm-hmm. whatever your thing is you got to send it out the door you got to try it mm-hmm. because you'll never grow if you don't at least that's mm-hmm. that's that's how I see it yeah that's, they don't call them growing pains for nothing they don't call it like oh the ease and joy of growing like no <laughs> no not at all but it's so much of our lives these days I mean I'm just now I'm preaching to the choir here, but so much of our lives these days is is the attempt to avoid pain, suffering, discomfort, any of those things. And uh, you can't. I mean, it, it, so I, I and I refer back to this a, a lot. Uh, Kevin Palmieri, I, I spoke to him. He was one of my earliest guests on the show. And he said something that continues to resonate with me today, which is nothing happens in the comfort zone. Just mm. nothing's going to happen. You want to um, be in the learning zone. You want to stay out of the anxiety zone. So on a one to 10, you want to be, say, between a four and a seven. Mm-hmm. And and bumping up against the top every once in a while of, of getting a little bit into the anxiety zone. Because mm-hmm. you don't really know where the limits are until you kind of test them. You go, okay, that makes me anxious. That makes me uncomfortable. Fine, fine. Now I know where it is. But you got to keep bumping up against it because otherwise... Your learning zone becomes your comfort zone, and now you're 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 not making progress again. So, yeah. yes, 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 yes. So, you are a healing arts practitioner. I am. What does that mean? 
Tell me. <laughs> it means I've done a lot of things for a long time, and it took me a really long time to come up with that phrase. Because, like, how do I describe <laughs> everything that I do? Um, so, I uh, within the realm of the healing arts, uh, I am a counselor. I am a breath worker. I do Reiki. I've done a lot of different energy medicine. It was. It all sort of. This is one of the gifts of being. Um, I guess you could say. Um, uh, I think. It, a multidisciplined or lack of disciplined individual where I got to try a lot of things for a lot of, for a long time where I was like, I like that. I don't like that. I like that. I don't like that. And I come from a long line of doctors. Both of my grandfathers were doctors. One of my grandmothers was the first, uh, one of the first Westerners and certainly the first woman to get her doctorate in traditional Chinese medicine. Oh, wow. So there was this backdrop of, helping people. My mm -hmm. mom was raised Quaker as well. And so there's always this sense of service and being able to be a support to your community. And although I wasn't raised Quaker, that was, that was a value that stayed with me. And as I, you know, certainly got into my twenties after nine 11 happened, mm. um, I realized I was like all of these temp jobs, like, I mean, I was in my very early twenties at that time, but I was like, something's not working. Something's not right. But I had, I had been told that I gave great back rubs constantly growing up. And so I was living abroad. I had to move home. I mean, for a variety of reasons. Right. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to try out massage school. I had just enough money for this 200-hour program. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And it turned me inside out in the best possible way insofar as it gave me tools and showed me to like, oh, I need to work on me too. Like if this oh, yeah. is something I want to be doing – I can only heal others as much as I've healed myself. So it's like, oh Lord, okay, here we go. You know, and I'm still on that path and very grateful for it. But man, it keeps me honest, which I which I'm grateful for. Well, yeah, I, I the there's so I, this again. I I just observationally, it seems like there are so many people out there trying to heal others who haven't yet healed themselves, and I. And maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's some, I don't know, some some internal, maybe it's a problem with me. But I look at all these people and I go, I don't know. I don't know if I trust you to help me because you're a big hot mess. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and thank you for listening to that voice. This is something I have spent so much time thinking and talking about. I'm actually right now reading a book um, all about cults. I'm absolutely fascinated with that kind of thinking because I came into it. I, I came up against it so much in all of my trainings and all the communities I was a part of. And it was just like all these people who talked a big game. And yet I was like, I don't want to be five feet apart from this person. Like I, there's something about it. Like I just don't want to even be in the same room. Like I, you know, and I had to trust my body, you know, and yeah. I always tell people like, please trust your body. Your body will always tell the truth. It's our, yeah. it's the best barometer we have. Like if you get a sinking feeling in your stomach, pay attention to that. If you get the feeling of like, Oh, like I suddenly walked into like creep zone 2000. It's like, all right, peace. I'm out. Like right. you know, we have to honor that. And I think there's a really interesting dialogue within the healing arts and it's it's germane to american society and this is a total i could talk for hours about this i won't that sense of that we are missing something mm -hmm. and we need something to complete us which is very codependent thinking and again no judgment but when it comes into the realm of healing where people go to be healed of past traumas of mm -hmm. you know you name it of everything history body issues you know chemist like chemical levels in the body whatever it is we have this desire to be sold to. 
yep. and to buy whatever is being sold to us, at which in turn provides a very perverse sense of belonging, which is not belonging at all. It's just, right. it's transactional. And it's, it's been, yeah, I, I've been so grateful to be on this path and then to have like the reality of burlesque, like meet me <laughs> because like, man, you want to get in a room full of people who are not afraid of telling the truth. <laughs> the amount of times I was so lovingly read for filth for saying, you know, sort of like these blanket things in the back room and somebody being like, you know, like I, one friend, I was, I was reading a book by the Dalai Lama. This was years ago. And uh, in the opening of the book, he was talking about how much um, trauma we carry from our past lives. Mm. And so I went into conversation. It was my first time meeting this person. And I was like, oh, yeah, and I'm re reading this book. And Dalai Lama says, you know, all this. And she looked at me and she was just like, well, that's an excuse if I ever heard one. And I was like, how refreshing. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, oh. Okay. Thank, thank you for that. <laughs> and I, I'm a big fan of my favorite phrase is I am now willing to tell myself the truth faster Ooh. because there were so many years I was not telling myself the truth or like sort of blanketing with optimism, like things that were really problematic in the like healing art zone. Right. And I think it's, you know, it's real dangerous. Like I think if anybody's looking for a therapist for any sort of healing arts support, do your research, find out who that person is, find out who trained them, find out their certifications. Cause there are a lot, there, there have been a lot of snake oil salesmen since the dawn of time. Yes. And there, it's no different. It's no different yeah. right now. And, and so I, there's, uh, there's so many things in, in, in what you said that, that, kind of tingle my spidey sense the and so i don't mean to make you spit out your drink as you're, <laughs> as you're <laughs> sipping your tea but the uh, there, there, there are things that 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 you go yes 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 absolutely we have this desire not only to be sold to but to get the quick fix and to yes. that 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 if we get this thing then everything will be fine if we get this everything will be great and it's it's really not that way and and tons of evidence to support the fact that it is not that way and very little to support the fact that if you get that new car or that bigger house or that or that better partner by the way because people are always looking to upgrade <gasps> They, that that it's that it's gonna that your whole life is gonna be uh, puppies and and unicorns roaming the planet, and it it isn't. I I I I hate to break it to you, dear children and older people who are acting like children, but the 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 fact is we we always think right. If I use and I'm gonna pick a product and 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 make something up. If I use that detergent, mm -hmm. then my whites will be brighter. And my husband or wife will 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 think I'm I'm better than I am, and my kids will be happy, and they'll stop screaming. And you go, I don't think Tide is going to do that. And no, no, nothing against Procter and Gamble. All your products are fantastic. I love them. Please advertise on the show. But the 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 fact is, it it, it can't do that. Your 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 one thing can't just can't. No. But we continue like like Alzheimer's patients to continue to do it again and again. And yeah. and and you know that that whole insanity is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. But yeah. and that by the way is not the definition of insanity. You can look up the definition of an ins of an insanity. Boy, if I could speak today it would be even better. <laughs> you could look up the definition of insanity in the in the dictionary and and it'll tell you what it is. Merriam-Webster.com go nuts. But the 
the fact is we it, it's it's on a societal level yeah. that that we seem to to focus on the same kinds of things that become problematic the false beliefs all those things that that we've told ourselves we just believe are true but we don't challenge those things we don't come back to them we don't listen to ourselves even when we go, well, everybody else is fine with this. Maybe my tingly skin is just just mm. something else. And, and maybe I should repress that and put it down and not, not think about it. And maybe if I don't think about it and I don't talk about it, it will be okay. Mm-hmm. Which to everybody <laughs> will say, also <laughs> probably not a good strategy. <laughs> just saying, just, just got to get that out there. So you... <laughs> You have a you, you have a couple of different workshops that you're running right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a 21 day self care program. Uh, you've got something on forgiveness and and like you said, breath work earlier. What what do you see as the biggest problem for the people you're working with? What what are the biggest hurdles holding people back from healing? I think first and foremost, people don't trust themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't trust their gut. I mean, to go back to what we were just talking about. I find that people, and whether this is American or beyond our borders, people generally don't have a great sense of self within major transitions or major transformations. Now, I'm probably going to want to walk that statement back and phrase it a little bit differently. But what I find with the people who come to work with me specifically know that something's not working. Something is, you know, I don't like to use the term broken, but I'm going to use that for sure. you know, for ease here. But it's like something is broken and I want to fix it. Right. And, and so I don't necessarily they, know what that is, but I know something's broken. Right. Exactly. Something's not working. Like I can't hold down a relationship. I am constantly living paycheck to paycheck. I you fill in the blank. I can't, you know, experiencing what I guess you could call like an enormous lack of certainty. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too because certainty itself is a little is a little bit seductive and and people can <laughs> swallow a lot in the name of certainty only to realize that nope nothing's ever been certain. So anyway, just a little side note. Um but I find that people when when people are shown that they are safe enough to be themselves and that their needs matter mm-hmm. to them, not to the world at large, but to them to step into more self-ownership and know that like at one of the big um, navigation points I use a lot in my work is like, what's a threat? Because oftentimes when our limbic system is firing, uh, which is the fight, flight, freeze, fawn part of the brain, you know, if somebody's if you feel like you're under threat, you're going to go into survival mode and survival mode is not creative. It is not expansive. It is, I have to save my own skin no matter what. And in our modern society, I find a lot of people take uh, some stimuli as threat when actually they're going to be okay. They're not going to be wiped off the face of the planet because maybe they're having a strong feeling mm-hmm. or somebody around them is having a strong feeling. So sort of demystifying a lot of that. and But also, like I am a firm believer that everybody, when they're given and shown the tools, everybody has the answers already inside of them. Mm-hmm. And my job is to help create certainly a safe and confidential container to sort of start to stretch those limbs and be like, oh, wait, I can ask for what I want. I can, I can, I have a voice that I can use. 
you know, those, and which might sound incredibly basic, but for some people it's life-changing. It certainly was for me, like these really basic points. And, you know, and certainly once I got, you know, and bringing in the burlesque work, you know, specifically for, you know, women or people who identify as women. I mean, there's so much, I love working with men too, when it comes to burlesque. Oh my goodness. Like it's so much fun (laughs) because it's just all about joy and it's about moving your body in hilarious and or sexy ways I have never taught a burlesque class that hasn't ended in peals of laughter because there is something about the freeing of like, oh, I don't have to be a certain way. I can, you know, like bump and grind my body. It doesn't have to look like somebody else's. I get to do it for myself. And then again, I get to choose if I want anybody to see it or if this is just something like I have this hilarious moment and then I go on with my life, you know, so it's sort of like all falls under the same big umbrella, you know, like with all of my courses and all of my offerings, they do kind of all lead back to one, which is just the self, I guess you could say. And I, I, you know, an empowered, an empowered sense of identity and being. And, you know, I, my teacher gave me this, but I love to repeat it, which is, I think the two most important questions we can ask ourselves in life is how do we want to love and how do we want to be loved? Because everything in my experience falls pretty clearly into different areas when we ask ourselves those questions and say, well, how do I choose to show up for me? How do I choose to show up for my life? Mm -hmm. What do I want to be experiencing or achieving or just being? And I don't think it's a question that lots of people ask themselves. And yet I know that when people do ask themselves that question, joy is possible. (laughs) Laughter is possible, or at least new opportunities. Even if a certain change might take five or 10 or 20 years to make, it's okay. Right. If it's underway, so be it. Right. So be it. So be it. That is, that is a fantastic sentiment. So we're, we're coming to the end here. I have a couple of questions I ask everybody and you've kind of already answered one of them, but I will give you an opportunity to give me a different answer or another answer. The, the big question I always ask is what is the biggest fallacy you feel like everybody buys into that just turns out to be total BS, something that's incredibly overrated and it can be general or specific to your exact niche. What do you think mm. is that's just such a good question. horribly overrated? This, the, this thought, and you mentioned it earlier, that sort of like take a pill and it all goes away. Like that instant certainty, instant security, instant surety. It's not real. It just doesn't exist. And there have been a lot of systems and structures built up throughout human history that drive home the, the, the certainty point in order to, say, retain membership. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, there's actually, there is freedom. There is profound freedom and simply saying, I don't know. Boy, is there. Boy, is there. Okay. So you've also said the next thing is what is underrated? What do we need more of? Mm. You've said already that we need more kind of self-ownership. Mm-hmm. But is there is there anything else that you think is, is uh, underrated that we need a whole lot more of? Yeah. Uh, it's the connection with self and others that comes with slowing down. And because with burlesque, one of the biggest things it taught me was that sacred intersection of time and space that live performance occupies. It can't be captured on a phone camera. It it just can't. It's videoing shows is one of the hardest things and like peace and like power to all the photographers who do it. 
But there is something about slowing down just to be present that is one of the most profound things I think any human being can do in our modern society where everything's quick, 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 and, you know, instant gratification and scroll this and swipe that and but 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 and it's like, oh, just to slow down and just even feel your breath can, can be transformational. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anna, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Folks, if you want to know more about Anna, you can find her on Instagram at Anna Brooke Healing and on YouTube. Links are in the description as always. And until next time, we don't have a problem. We've got an opportunity. Thank you.